Welcome to the Audiobook Speakeasy. I'm Rich Miller, and I'm your host here at the Speakeasy. This is where you'll meet narrators, coaches, engineers, and other audiobook professionals, as well as some listeners who'll be sharing what they look for in a good audiobook. If you're interested in audiobook production, you've come to the right place. So come on in, grab a drink, pull up a chair, and join us for a friendly chat about audiobooks. Joining me tonight in the Speakeasy is a fellow narrator who also has quite a bit of experience on the engineering side. Paul Heitch, thanks for joining me in the Speakeasy tonight. I'm delighted to be here. Thank you so much for, for asking me, Rich. Oh, yeah, no problem. Glad, glad you could make it. So uh, what are you drinking tonight? I am drinking um, Eagle Rare bourbon with uh, just a splash of water. That's funny. I actually have a bottle of Eagle Rare, but I chose something else tonight. I know that you are uh, you are a bourbon aficionado to at least some degree, based on uh, conversations that I've been involved with online with you and uh, Johnny Heller, mm-hmm. and uh, and so I decided to go with some Wild Turkey Rare Breed Barrel Proof. Oh wow! Bourbon. Yeah, wow. I got got this a few weeks ago on the advice of Jamie Johnson, who is one of the co-hosts of the Whiskey Topic podcast, along with uh, Mark Bylock, and uh, and I thought, well, if Jamie recommends it, I'm going to try it. So uh, so that's what I that's what I got, and that's what I bring to the table tonight with just a single ice cube to cool it down just a bit and um, okay. dilute it just a little bit. It's a, a skull shaped ice cube that's just about gone now. I think all I've got left is a brainstem. Ah. So, <laughs> So anyway, that's what I'm having tonight, Paul. So thanks for joining me. Cheers. Cheers. All right. There you go. So, uh, so I know that you're back on the East Coast somewhere. Uh, where are you from originally? Uh, originally, uh, well, I um, I grew up in Oak Park, Illinois. Uh, we moved there when I was about two and a half, so I don't remember living anywhere else. And that's right on the west side of Chicago. Uh, it's it's the birthplace of Ernest Hemingway and uh, Edgar Rice Burroughs lived there for several years. Wow. I used to walk by Burroughs' house uh, on my way to high school. Big creative names there. Yeah, yeah. Very cool. literary names. Yeah, yeah. So uh, well, we'll get to the audiobooks a little later, but uh, <laughs> but so so that's where you grew up, um, and you stayed there for you know that's where you grew up your whole your whole childhood. Yeah, yeah. Um, that my my parents both were, you know, the, that was the last house they ever owned. Um, and then I uh, moved into the city uh, as an, and spent pretty much all of my adult life there until two thousand six. By city, you mean Chicago? Chicago, yeah, yeah. And li- you know, just lived in various places in Chicago. Um, and uh, then in two thousand six, I was offered a job with Rosetta Stone uh, here in Harrisonburg, Virginia. So we moved here, and this is where we are now. That's great. Uh, I believe that another one of my uh, speakeasy guests lives in uh, lives, uh, Harrisonburg. Is that what you said? That's correct. Yeah, I believe that another one of my guests, Andy Arndt, lives in that same area. You are correct. Yeah. Uh, she, she and I go to the same church. No kidding. She spoke very yep. highly of the area, and it, it certainly sounds beautiful out there. It 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 is. Uh, you know, it's it's. Um, I, I I love Chicago. It, that's always going to be home. But yeah, it is gorgeous. We've got mountains on both sides of us. We're in the Shenandoah Valley, and it's you know you just you walk a few blocks and there are cow pastures, uh, which is which is nice. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, the the climate's mild, but we get all four seasons. Um, and uh, we're, I, I do miss being in a city. There, there are amenities that you get in a city that you can't get in a town of 45,000 people. Yeah, no, that definitely changes things. I know that when I lived in the Santa Cruz Mountains in a small town, it was um, 20 minutes for me to get to anything, you know, even remotely city-like. And then it was Santa Cruz, so it was a big city. Um, but I know that in some other more rural areas, it can take longer than that. Yeah, we're an hour from Charlottesville. Wow. Which is, it's uh, not even, you know, it's not even half again as, as populated as Harrisonburg, but it's a quite different feel uh, for a city. It's it's a lot more cosmopolitan. Sure. But we're two hours from D.C. and about two and a half hours from Richmond. So, so you've got some big cities that aren't too far away. I'm, no, I'm no. sure, though, that uh, where you are, nothing like Chicago. So you said that you, uh, yeah. it'll always be home. Do you, and, and what about living in a big city do you really miss? Oh, just all of the and everything that that you could ever want to do is there. And Chicago, I mean, Chicago's a 
it's a world-class city. They've got world-class museums. Um, for a long time, they had what was widely considered the best orchestra in the world. Mm. Um, they've got, you know, <laughs> allegedly professional sports teams. Um, <laughs> I've, 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 I, I have to say, I've been a Cubs fan my whole life. I mean, I don't ever remember not being a Cubs fan. And when they won in 2016, it was like, okay, I can... I can scratch that one off my bucket list. <laughs> I was alive when the Cubs won a World Series. <laughs> I am I am not a sports ball kind of guy, but I uh, I do know that when that happened, it was a big shocker, and uh, people from that area just went wild. Well, yeah, it uh, well, if you if you followed the team, I I I knew that year they were going to do it. I I'd, from, hmm. from from opening day, I I I was literally counting down the games of the regular season on my Facebook feed saying, okay, one down 161 to go. <laughs> and then they, they got into the pre into the, into the, the post season. And I said, okay, one down 13 to go. And they, they, they took them seven games, but they did it. <laughs> yeah. And I see, that's one of those stats that I just would not have known that it actually took seven games for the world series. I just wait for the world <laughs> series to be over so that I can have a normal Facebook feedback. <laughs> but, uh, but, uh, but I'm sure that being from Chicago and being a fan, that was, that was an exciting series. It was, it was great. It was great. And it was, uh, I, at a full disclosure, um, they had a lead in the, in game seven, they had a lead of, I don't even know, I can't even remember how many runs and then Cleveland tied it up and it went into extra innings and then it started to rain. Yeah. Uh. It was late. It was like one o'clock in the morning and I had to get up early the next morning and go to work at JMU. And, uh, so I, and, and so in Vicky, my wife and I were watching the game. I said, I, I got to go and get ready for everybody. She said, what? I said, look, they, and they, they showed the radar and the radar made it look like it was going to be an hour and a half easy. <laughs> so I went upstairs, I started getting ready for bed and I'm brushing my teeth and Vicky comes to the stairs. She says, Paul, they're pulling the tarp off the infield. So I skirt, <laughs> scampered back downstairs and they won the game. So, um, so how many hours of sleep did you get before you had to go to work? Uh, maybe four. Not, not the greatest day at work that day, huh? Well, yeah, um, that, the, the, that job was, um, playing piano for dance classes and I'm kind of on autopilot when I do that anyway. So, uh, well, that's good. Uh, plus the fact yeah. that I'm sure that, you know, the excitement of the event was probably, probably still. I, oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Was, that's, that's great. So, so good. you moved to where you are now to, uh, take a job with Rosetta Stone. Yeah. What was that job? Uh, uh, manager of audio. Um, they they had been a mom and pop shop for as long as they had been in existence, and then they decided they wanted to uh, go international and really, really, you know, step up their game. So they started recruiting people from all over. They recruited people from Amazon and and Google and all over the place because they wanted to produce ten languages at once to mm. to completely revamp their their whole uh, interface and curriculum. So they hired me to come in and and um, and build up their audio department, which I did. Uh, hired and, a bunch of engineers and built studios, and we recorded ten languages. And and how did you get the experience that they were looking for to be able to be manager of audio? I had been working in um, in games and uh, children's interactive products. And was uh, at a senior level uh, where I was um, hiring and producing and directing uh, spoken word recordings for those products. Wow. So you're talking about things like Leapfrog? Yeah. Yeah. I worked with Leapfrog for like two and a half years. Ah, okay. Well, let's back up then. I didn't realize that the uh, the audio engineering went that far back. Where did you get the uh, the skills necessary for that? I... Um, <laughs> In, uh, in, at the end of 1989, um, an old college buddy of mine uh, who was working for a pinball company, uh, Williams Valley Midway. Oh, sure. Um, Valley, I, yeah. I was, yeah, I was, a, I was a freelance piano player at the time. And he said, hey, Paul, we've got an opening for a composer or sound designer at Williams. Would you be interested in that? <laughs> sure. So he, I went over to his house. He had a development system at his house, and he, he walked me through it. And then he said, okay, if you get the interview, they're going to want a demo. Here's what you want to have on your demo. So he basically like coached me through the whole process. And I wound up getting hired at the, at Williams Valley Midway and worked there for almost seven years. Wow. So what did you do for them? 
I, I wrote music for pinball games and sound design for pinball games. And originally it was all chip based. Well, it, it was always chip based, but we were, we were just, um, the way we wrote music was we wrote, uh, MIDI instructions that, oh, that, right. yeah. uh, that fired, uh, a Yamaha synthesizer chip. And then after a couple of years, we went to a sample playback system. So we were, you know, we all got our own MIDI rigs and we were writing real music and recording it. And it was playing back the, the, the music we were, we were composing. That's Instead great. This, so so yeah. as, as somebody who played uh, <laughs> copious hours worth of pinball and video games back in the late 80s, uh, and I still do every once in a while, there's a, a local place here in Tucson called uh, D&D Pinball. And they have pinball machines that run the gamut from the early pinball games that were all analog with just the, you know, bumper sounds. And that was about mm. it all the yep. way up to stuff that they've created really recently. Um, so uh, so give me give me a, a title of something that a, a pinball game that you might have a credit on if credits were to show up on the screen. Uh, Creature from the Black Lagoon. They might uh, actually Dra have that one at D&D. &D. Yeah, I've got one in my basement. <laughs> um, That's great. Yeah, uh, let's see. Um, first one I ever did was um, Pool Sharks and Radical, which, yeah, Pool Sharks had that little talking mechanical shark on the on the play field. I, I vaguely remember that title. Um, I, I know that I haven't seen it for a long time. Yeah, uh, Judge Dredd. Um, <laughs> Judge Dredd, oh my God, there was a, a pinball game based on that movie, huh? Yeah, uh, wow. Dracula. I, I got to fly to London to record Gary Oldman's uh, saying stuff like, shoot the left round, <laughs> <laughs> jackpot. Oh, my God. That, would, that, yeah. must have been, that must have been an awesome gig. It, it was. It was. And he was, he was a real sport, too. I mean, you know, he's, I'm, I'm, I'm in the booth giving him direction. Like, no, no, no. I, I need you to really draw it out. You know? That is and he awesome. Was, he was a total actors. pro. Yeah. He, yeah, he was a total pro. That's great. That's great. So, um, you, so you did that for seven years, and then yeah. uh, and then where did you go from there? I went to O'Donnell Salvatore. Um, Marty O'Donnell and Mike Salvatore had a, a jingle house in Chicago, and and Marty had leveraged a connection he had with Cyan to do all of the the um, video post and a lot of the sound design for Riven, the sequel to Mist. And after he'd been working on that for a while, he realized that there, there was only so much overlap between the, the jingle, you know, video post world and the game world. Mm. And I approached him about, you know, helping them out. And I got hired to, to work with them on, on uh, Riven. And then we worked on a couple of games for Bungie Studios because they were headquartered in Chicago at that time. So I, I definitely remember Mist. I don't remember Riven, but I never played Mist, and so I assumed that if I had played Mist, I probably would have said, "Ooh, got to get the sequel." Yeah, yeah, yeah. The sequel was was like uh, just orders of magnitude more complex and had way more sophisticated graphics than uh, than Mist did. Yeah, I'm sure that that's like all video game stuff. That's just because in in the evolution in that you know couple of years that Mist was out, they things had already gotten exponentially better in terms of what they could do. And then yeah. when they had so much success with the first one, I'm sure that that just transferred into let's, you know, roll this money into the next one. <clears throat> yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's great. And so, uh, so then have, did you do a lot of freelancing after that or, or were you, was everything pretty stable before you, uh, moved to, uh, moved to the Shenandoah Valley? It was, it was, a it was a mix. Um, O'Donnell Salvatore went out of business uh, suddenly. There's their building burned to the ground. And, Yikes! And yeah, and so Marty went to work for uh, Bungie um, in-house, and Mike went to work for an, another post-production house in Chicago, and I wound up getting hired uh, after a couple of months by a multimedia production house in the suburbs called Peak Image, and I was their director of audio for a couple of years, and that was a real nice gig. Mm -hmm. Um, and then they went out of business. So I was freelancing for a while and I had done some work. One of their clients was leapfrog kids and I had done a lot of audio work for them. And, um, with, with that on my resume, I approached leapfrog and they uh, hired me uh, freelance for about a year as a senior sound designer. And then they opened up a branch in Evanston, Illinois, which is just North of Chicago. Mm. Um, so, uh, we, we did that for about a year and then they closed that branch down. 
And again, I, I was freelancing for a while. I was still doing freelance work for, for Leapfrog, but, um, you know, it wasn't full time anymore. Mm-hmm. And um, there was a company in Chicago called Publications International, and they made a product that was very, very similar to the one Leapfrog made, which was the LeapPad. Um, so again, I leveraged my previous experience to get hired there. And that's where I was working when, um, when I was recruited by Rosetta Stone. So, uh, so they hired you to do as they were expanding and, um, and are you still working for them? Oh no. Uh, yeah. Oh, cause, no. cause you, you mentioned a different employer at this point. And so that was, I believe you said that was 2006. Yeah. So yeah, how, long, that job, how, how long were you with them? About a year and a half. Oh, relatively long, short. Long, yeah. Long enough to get those 10 languages out. And then they axed a bunch of the line managers. Ah, all right. So all this time while, while you're doing the, the sound design and, uh, oh, real quick, I want to go back to the piano thing. So did you do oh, a, yeah. a music major in school or was it just, have you always been a musician? I've, I've always been a musician. And yeah, I, when I, the, my first, my first go around at school, I, I double majored in um, piano performance and technique and music composition and theory. Wow. That's great. I loved my time in music theory when I was in college. Just, really? Oh yeah. I loved it. That was, I just, I thought it was the best. And then, wow. um, I started failing out of music history cause I just did not care. <laughs> and so, because did, I was, it's, did you have grout? Did you, did you, did, did they use the grout history? Ooh, not that I remember, but you it's know, there's a lot huge, that I don't remember of music oh, history it's, classes. It's, you'd remember it's this huge, thick book about the history of music, and it's incredibly dry. But no, every, I, that might have made it worse, actually. But our our first first quarter, I was at at uh, Occidental College, and we had quarters back then. And my first quarter was in um, I don't even remember what they what they called the the name of it, but it was you know music from way back when. And then the the second quarter was Baroque. And in the first quarter, we had a visiting professor from USC. And at one point, he called me into his office and he said, are you, are you feeling okay? And I thought, uh, <laughs> well, that, that's an odd question, but but okay, I'll answer. And so I said, yeah, I'm fine. Why? And he said, well, I, I noticed you nodding off a lot in class. And I thought, oh, my God, I've been outed. Yeah, he actually be- saw me falling it's asleep because- in class. Yeah, that's because I'm ill. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, so I tried to stay with it. And then in Baroque, I just cared even less. And, it, and it's kind of <laughs> sad because I look at it now and it's the kind of thing where 20, 30, 40 years later, um, I would be I would be much more interested in learning the things that I was supposed to be learning at the time than I was at the time. So, so it's, it's too bad it worked out that way, but I realized that I can't do this music major if I'm going to fail out of music history. And so I had to, had to leave the theory by the wayside, but I loved it. Theory was great. Yeah. So, uh, so, and also the piano stuff, um, cause that was one of my instruments. Um, so you've always been a musician and then you went into performance. That's a, that's a gutsy move. Um, it, it kind of performance, you mean, mm-hmm. uh, the audio book narration? No, yeah, no, 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 was, no, 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 no. I mean, I mean, piano oh. performance. Oh, oh no. That was, that was, uh, that was what I, I mean, I, the, one of the, one of my two majors was, was performance and technique. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, I always knew that's what I wanted to do. Um, and actually I left school early because they weren't teaching me how to be the kind of musician I wanted to be. I just wanted to be a working, jobbing musician. Mm -hmm. And of course the training there was to be a concert, uh, pianist. And, um, a couple of things I didn't like about that. One is it's just, it's so much pressure. I, I, I played, I was part of a recital today at our church. And it was just like a three-minute piece that I was going to do. And to this day, Rich, I still get uh, performance anxiety. Wow. And, and this this was for, uh, you know, 40 or 50 people from our congregation who were just there for this noon Lenten recital. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm still, I, I'm, I'm sitting there like doing my breathing and, you know, putting my hands under my, you know, just sitting on my hands to keep them from starting to shake. <laughs> Wow. So yeah, I can imagine that going the concert pianist route would have been difficult. And yeah, I, I just wanted to be, uh, like I said, I just wanted to be a, a jobbing working musician. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I left and went back to Chicago and that's what I did. 
Well, that's that's great. I just I just think it's a gutsy move going into performance at all because it is it is so um, it's it's so much uh, you know the gig economy thing where yeah you, there there are no that I know of there are no jobs uh, forty hours a week regular paycheck where you play piano all day. And, no, and it, so, well, they, no, they weren't. Yeah, it's just but it's I, one of those things where I I think it's a gutsy thing to go into that kind of performance um, direction simply because it's difficult out there. So I, I had no competencies at anything else, though. So it, there, there was there, I, there was no plan B. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it seems to have worked out in kind of a roundabout way getting into yeah. getting into the audio. So after uh, sorry about that detour there, but I just I wanted to get back to the piano because oh, I'm always really yeah. interested in, in um, people who go into music. Um, so so after um, uh, Rosetta Stone, uh, where'd you go from there? <laughs> um. It was that that was a really, really tough time because here I am in Harrisonburg, Virginia. It's been a year and a half since I've done any kind of networking. My Chicago network has just gone completely cold. Um, I did pick up some work with um, Leapfrog. I, I just they, they were the first company I called and said, hey, I'm available if you've got anything for me. And they gave me um, they, they were launching a new version of the Leap Pad. And so I. They they gave me the two titles that were going to ship with the the maiden release of the of the leap pad. So I, that was uh, Cinderella and Cars two. So I I did a bunch of music and sound design for those. Um, that got me through about half a year. Mm -hmm. And then after that, um, it was I was really scrambling. And uh, then a buddy of mine at um, Paraxis Games up in Maryland. Uh, asked me if I'd be interested in interviewing for a, a composer sound designer job there. So I was. Um, I got hired uh, at the at, right at the end of 2009, um, and worked there for about a year and a half. And again, we, we it was it was uh, your typical game cycle where they staff up and produce a big title. They they produced Civilization Five, mm. and then they laid a bunch of us off. Um, so now it's, it's all going great. We're getting a game out. Goodbye. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, um, so again, I, you know, I'm, I'm kind of on the rocks here in Harrisonburg with, with very few prospects. And, um, when was that? That was, that was the middle of 2010. Um, and that was, that was really a grim time. I mean, I was, I was really scrambling to get work and just, just doing whatever I could to get by and, um, were you looking at maybe moving again? Yeah. Yeah. We were, we were looking at, at wherever we could go. And, and it was tough. The kids were both 2011. My daughter was, she was in high school. You got teenagers. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And my son was in middle school at the time. Mm -hmm. So they, and they, they, you know, they'd made all their, their friends here. And, and the idea of moving again was going to be kind of, um, you know, heinous for them. Oh yeah. Um, and so, um, yeah, it was, it was just a tough time. I was, we were, we were digging into our savings basically to, to, to get by. Mm -hmm. Um, and then at the beginning of 2011, I found out I had kidney cancer. Yikes. And yeah, um, now the, the, that has a happy ending. Um, I had, as part of my severance from, um, from Firaxis, I had gotten them to extend my, uh, health benefits. And so I only had to pay for one month of Cobra to cover everything. Wow. That is good. Cause even though Cobra yeah. is typically a little more expensive than oh, whatever was, you were paying. Yeah. Um, it was way more expensive, but oh, we only had to pay. Yeah. We only had to pay for a month of that. Yeah. Holy cow. Um, to have everything covered. That's, that's awesome. And, and kidney cancer, if, if it's caught, you just remove the kidney and you're cured. Hmm. So I had that surgery and, and they, you know, I'm, I'm down to one kidney, but it's healthy mm -hmm. and it, there were clean margins everywhere. So I'm, you know, I've been cancer free for seven years now. Well, that's great. Um, yeah, thanks. So, um, and I, I, I was still able to get freelance work here and there. I'm sure that um, all of that played in though. I mean, you were saying it was such a, a, a bad time. I'm sure that it was like, oh my God, yet another thing. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. It was, yeah, it was, it was grim. Yet another thing. And this thing could be life-threatening. 
Yeah. Yeah. I, I had a, I had a few weeks to think about, okay, if I've got this long to live, what do I want to do? If right. I've got that long to live, what do I want to do? Yeah. Um, Tough times. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, but you know, every day is a miracle now. So that's cool. <laughs> it's, that's cool. Yeah. Um, so I, uh, I decided to go back to school and, and finish my degree and, and, uh, concentrate on e-learning design and development. I thought, well, that's, that leverages a lot of my existing skills and, um, it's a, you know, it's a, a burgeoning industry. Uh, there's a lot of opportunity even for an old guy like me. So I went back to school at James Madison university studying that. And about that same time, um, you know, and I'm, I'm still always looking for, for work. And I had these search bots where there was one keyword audio. And, um, in September, I think it was, I got a hit for, a job as an audio product audio book production manager for some place called ACX I'd never heard of. Ah, that was so, the inroad. Yeah, so I I went to ACX and and the job description aligned really closely with my experience. So I thought, oh, this is this is a hot prospect. They're they're, they're for sure going to call me for an interview at least. So I better get smart about this company. So I went online and just just poured all over their site. And at one point I filled out a, a profile just to see what that process was like. And mm -hmm. I had done voice work for a lot of the games and other stuff that I'd worked on. You know, we just, we didn't have time to call a talent in. So I would just jump in the booth and record whatever it was myself. Oh, so you are already familiar with, um, not just having voice talent do things, but actually being a voice talent. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. That's good. That's good. I could see how that real, real, real short form, but yeah. Um, sure. Yeah. But it's still, you know, there's, there's microphones and, and, uh, being in the booth and getting direction. And I mean, there's all those things. So, so that's great. Right. That's great that you had that experience as well. So, um, yeah, it, it turns out to have been a real plus. Yeah. So I, uh, I filled out a profile just to see what that was all about. And I checked the box that said, are you a narrator? Sure. So then I hit submit and I get a, um, a dialogue box that pops up and says, oh, we see you're a narrator. Would you like to search for interesting titles to audition for? So, sure. I'll see what that's all about. So I go and I, you know, I look around and see what kind of books they've got. And, and um, I picked three and I've always had a, a workstation of my own. So I, I recorded three auditions and then, you know, submitted my application. I think, okay, the phone's going to ring any day now. <laughs> well, phone never rings. Uh, they hired some other guy for that uh, production manager job. Mm -hmm. But a couple of days later, uh, I get a message from Crossroad Press asking me if I'd uh, produce the book that I auditioned for of theirs. Uh, and that was The Miraculous Plot of Lighter and Lot. And that was the beginning of my career as an uh, audiobook narrator. That's great with Crossroad Press. Uh, yeah. I, I assume yeah. that David was in charge back then as well. Oh yeah. 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 And Jeffrey, Jeffrey Kafer was the guy who was, who was vetting the auditions. And he, he, he tells me this later. He says, I, I listened to yours for 15 seconds and I just told David, hire this guy. <laughs> That's fantastic. Yeah. I, I, I know Jeffrey's name. He's, he is definitely, we, we all know Jeffrey. Yeah, everybody <laughs> knows Jeffrey. Yeah. But yeah, I, I, I think the big thing I had going for me was I knew how to make a professional sounding, uh, product. Sure, I, I knew how absolutely. to record it. I knew how to engineer it. I knew how to edit. I knew how to master it. So, so you said that you had, you've always had a workstation set up. So you had a workstation set up like with a reasonable large diaphragm condenser microphone and all the soft, well, all the software I can imagine, but you, you had something set up in your house already, even though you were not a regular working voice talent, you had something right. set up where you could do that. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. That's great. What kind of mic were you using at the time? I used a, a Rode NT1A. That's what I'm talking on right now. How about that? It's a, it's a workhorse. Yeah. Yeah. It may not be the best mic in the world, but it's, uh, it has served me well. I, I look forward to getting a couple of dream mics at some point in the not too distant future, but uh, for right now it's working, working fine. Yeah. So, we, so you had that, what are you using now? Um, I, last year I got a Mojave, uh, MA 200, uh, tube condenser mic. Oh, a tube. Really? Yeah. Not yeah. too common. No, um, I, I'm never, ever completely happy with my sound and I, are the, any the of us. It, Paul, no, are any of us. <laughs> no, no, it's, it's, uh, it's an affliction it and, is. um, yeah. 
I had the road at one point. I had the road modified by um, Michael Jolie and had oh. him do the had him do the uh, vintage voice mod, and that that improved the sound a lot. But I still felt like there's there's something, and and what it is is when when I master to the loudness specs that you have to for audiobooks, which is really stinking loud. Mm -hmm. I mean, for for a spoken word, nine, minus nineteen or minus twenty is really loud. Yep. And in the process of doing that, all the dynamic squashing and stuff that you have to do to get to that loudness, it was just imparting this this sort of hard metallic quality mm -hmm. that I didn't like. And I'm I've always I'm always looking for something to sort of soften that up, to sort of feather it around the edges, so it doesn't. Oh, doesn't so that's seem... why you went with the tube. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And now and now I'm looking at my preamps and you know just thinking, okay, the, now what's the next thing that I can do? To... <laughs> warm this up a little bit you know? yeah gear gear acquisition syndrome it's it's an affliction so that's interesting that you mentioned the michael jolie mod because i have thought about doing that it's just that right now i don't have another mic so i can't use anything else so what i'm oh. thinking is the next time when, when i finally buy a microphone what i want to do is i want to keep this one and i want to send it out and see how that mod works so you would say that it was money well spent on on a oh, road oh, yeah. it was it was a, a really noticeable improvement on the sound he cool. does terrific work cool that is, that is good to know i will definitely look into that when i finally get around to getting another mic so uh, so anyway you had the workstation set up you had reasonable equipment you send in an audition jeffrey kafer gave his thumbs up and yeah. you were, and you were rolling and and yep. so you've like never looked back since then um, it's not so much that I've never looked back. It's that it's, it's been this slow progression. Um, at that same time I started, no, actually it was the following year. I started working at JMU, uh, accompanying their classes for their dance program. Oh, that's what you mentioned earlier. Was, and was yeah, JMU, and, yeah. And teaching, I also teach a class for their school of music in multi-track recording and engineering. Um, so I was, there was, it was always this, 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 jambalaya of of like three different part-time jobs and then audiobooks just started occupying more and more of my time um and then the last couple of years uh, like 2014 and 2015 and 2016 i was doing 24 books a year nice and then yeah and then last year i did um i think 20 actually it was 2015 and 2016 now that I, the, the numbers don't work if i if i think about it and last year I did 28 and then this year I'm on pace to do, you know, maybe 35. Mm -hmm. um, and that's, that's if I don't do any like dual narrations where you can knock a couple of those out a week. Right, um, right, right. I, I've, I've only done a couple of those um, so far. Um, and I'm always looking to see if there's, you know, if there's somebody I can partner with for, you know, just, just permanently and be like a, 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 a team, but that hasn't happened yet. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm doing the same thing looking into that right now. Um, I'm working with Carol Monda. I'm, I oh. def definitely want to step up the, um, the romance game just because that's not something I've done much of any, but that's, that's definitely a genre that I want to do more in. And, um, partnering up is always a good thing. I've heard some great, uh, great dual narrations out there. So yeah. always something to look mm -hmm. at. Um, well, so, so that's great. So you're, st you're still doing other stuff. Are you still, um, you're still doing actually, stuff at JMU? Actually, um, I, <laughs> that's an interesting, there, there's a story uh, here. Well, okay. I got a book a few weeks ago. I got a book uh, from Blackstone that is just a behemoth of a book. It's it's going to come out to between 60 and 70 finished hours. So, you know, I saw you post something about that online and I thought yeah. this must be a typo. This no. must be he must be talking about 60 hours of work in for a, you know, for a long book of 15 or or 30 or whatever it is, finished hours. You're talking about 60 finished hours? Yeah. Yeah. That's insane. Yeah, and, it, and, it is. And this is a book on astrology? astrology yeah wow i can't believe that there's that much to put in a book about astrology look at the stars oh this is what they tell you I, that, well, that's just amazing yeah i mean there, there are sections of the book that describe the signs and then there are sections that describe the the seasons and the elements and the 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 fixed water you know mutable qualities but hmm. the where where the book really gets fleshed out is on the days of the year or born. Yeah. Days of the year. Every birthday 
every calendar birthday, including February 29th, has two full pages of text. Wow. Uh, dedicated to it. So, and, and every they're averaging about eight and a half minutes per birthday. Wow. So that's 366 days of the year at that, eight and a half minutes each. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> I could see how that plus all of the other stuff it, will work it out. It adds up. 60 hours. Oh my gosh. I'm just wondering yeah. who's going to buy this. So, so I told JMU, I said, I'm sorry, but I'm going to have to take a leave of absence for a few weeks. And there's a new guy who's director of the School of Theater and Dance. And he decided, you know, we can't have this. You're, you're holding us hostage to your other work. So um, we're just going to not work with you anymore. So <laughs> yikes. Well, uh, here's the thing. That is, I, I have known for a while now that I need to do that. I need to just stop doing other stuff and focus exclusively on audiobooks. Um, and I was dreading having to make that decision. I, I, I really, it was, uh. it was, it was, it was bothering me. I was churning on it all the time. Like when, when is the right time? And the right time was a year ago. So um, this actually worked out well for you then because it, yeah, you, it, you didn't like, have to make the call. I didn't have to make the decision. It was made for me. So, and, and now I can just, focus on the work that is earning me my living. And I got to say, I, I love audiobooks every bit as much as I have ever loved doing music. That's it's, awesome. That, that is yeah. great to hear. Yeah. I mean, at, at an age when most people are figuring out what they're going to do when they retire, I've got this whole new career and um, I've been doing it now for six years and it's, it's still challenging and interesting and exciting. And, you know, even, even this book on astrology, it's like, you know, I, it could be worse. I could be, you know, I could be someplace that's, that's, you know, that's got office politics and, you know, boring, repetitive work. And, and I, I get to do this and, and I get fantastic. to do it in my pajamas. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's great. Things have worked out pretty well. Yeah, no kidding. I mean, if you go from one thing that you love and you and you end up, even though you may have gone through a, a pretty dark time, you end up doing something that you love just as much. That's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. That's great. So as you've been doing audiobooks for five, six, seven years, whatever it's been exactly, um, mm -hmm. what what have you what have you found that you really like what what's your uh, what's your favorite genre do you have a favorite genre i i don't i like i like when the writing is good yeah that's, that's, there you go. that's, that's great. That, that's the genre i like is, I, yeah you know it it's like a, it's like a dance when the when the writing is is there your your work is done yeah. your job is done i, I mean i, I, I know exactly you what to, you mean you don't have to wrestle with okay who are these people and why are they making these decisions these stupid awful improbable decisions mm -hmm. and how do i make this sound authentic how do i make them sound real and or you know these tropey characters or these these cliched relationships or whatever how do i you know how do i infuse this with a a you know an authentic quality when the writing is there that work is all done for you yeah no, and, I, and I know what you it's mean. just yeah, it's it's like it's like just drifting down a river. You you don't have to worry about anything. Yeah, I I did a, a recent book, and and I would say the same thing is true for nonfiction in a in a different way, but but it's also true because nonfiction can be dry and dusty and horrible, and your job is that much harder because you have to make it interesting yeah. and you have to be entertaining. But when you get good nonfiction writing, uh, I I just did one recently, and I was uh, describing it to my wife, and I said, "No, it's uh, so I I read through it, and and it's great. It's like right in my wheelhouse. It's like this guy writes like I speak. It's it's um <clears throat> the, it's it's really great. It's great to hear it. Um, yeah. Actually, he writes way better than I speak, but um, the, 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 <laughs> oh, you're you're pretty good. But <laughs> I, I have to tell you, I I'm just going to interrupt you for a second Ed, sure. to to prepare for this, just to kind of see what I was going to be in for. I listened to a few of the episodes of this. Oh, good. Podcast. Good, good. You are really good at this. <laughs> well, and I, thank I wanted you, to ask you what what is what is your background? You've got some background in radio, but were you like were you a, a journalist or or did you did you do uh, you know talk based radio where you had people on and interviewed them? No, I I have zero experience in radio. Oh wow. Yeah. Okay. No, I've I've never been in radio. It was something I looked into because I thought that I felt like it was something that I could do well. But I, I looked into it way back in the way back in the eighties. I mean, this is back when I was in college or before college or right after college. And 
And I just, I, I looked at it and I thought, you know, I don't think this is going to end well if I actually try to go <laughs> down this path. And from a lot of the people that I've spoken to who have been in radio, although there are definite pluses and it's, and it's kind of a cool thing, it's really difficult long-term um, for a number of reasons. And, and not that many people make it long-term. And so I'm, I'm kind of glad that I didn't pursue it at the time. Um, so I, I don't really have any experience in, in that direction. Um, but, but I like talking to people. I think that that's where it comes from. I, I just like having conversations. And when I started this podcast, my whole idea was not, I want to have people in and have these serious discussions and ask them, you know, difficult questions. My, my idea was, I want to talk to people. I want to just have a conversation with people. And so I thought a bar was a good setting for it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, this, yeah, I, just, I, I enjoyed all the episodes. That's great. I'm, I'm, um, thank you, and I, and I'm glad to hear that. I, uh, I really appreciate that. Um, I, I hope that a lot of people are getting something out of just sitting down and talking to somebody and hearing what they, what they've been through. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I'm sure that there are other people who have had dark days for whatever reasons, like you did, and it's, it's nice to hear, you know, when somebody that you have seen online, you've heard them speak, maybe you've listened to a book by them. I think it's great to get to know people and to just find out that other people really are people and they've, they've had experiences and it's nice to hear those experiences. Yeah. So, so I love it. I love doing this. I love talking to people. Um, and so anyway, getting, getting back to what we were talking about, I completely agree. The good writing is, uh, a number one, the most important good thing about, about a book. Um, have you had any bad experiences recording audiobooks? Uh, no, not recording audiobooks. Um, I hear a butt there. Well, I'm, I'm trying to think, it, you know, it, was there, was there anything that really like left a bad taste in my mouth? And I guess, I think so far I've been really lucky. Um, I actually, I've been extraordinarily lucky. I've, I've, I've met, I, you know, I've along the way I've, um, uh, I've met some authors that are very prolific and very generous and very loyal. Oh, that's so, nice. Boy, so that, that's, that's a yeah, trifecta right there. <laughs> I, I'll tell you. And, um, that, you know, I, I, one, one book that I did early on, well, when was it? 20, 2015 I did, um, this was an ACX book. I did the first Omega Force book by Joshua Dalzell. And it did really well. And so Audible Studios came to him and said, we want to produce the rest of the series. Wow. So that was that was six books that they hired me for all in the summer of 2016. I'm sure he didn't want to turn that one down and neither did. No, you. <laughs> no, no. That was that was a real that was a real windfall for for me. Yeah. Um, and then he's he's come out with two more books in the meantime, one one book a year in that series. And so, I, you know, there's always at least one. Audible Studios book in the queue uh, every year uh, since then. That's great. Um, so yeah, I've I've actually I've been really lucky. I think, um, and and um, you know some some books are like I said there's it, there's so much content out there and and to stay busy you got to just you, you got to take the work that comes your way and some of it's going to be um, sort of hackneyed and trite and and, you know, full of tropes and improbable, you know, they, it's, I don't know if this frustrates you, but it just, it, it, there, there are times when I have to just stop recording for a while and go, are you kidding me? Why would you do that? Why in the world would you do that? This is so stupid. And then you, I calm down and I go back to recording. Yeah. Uh, in, in that respect for the fiction that I've done, I'm, I'm about half and half fiction, nonfiction, actually probably more nonfiction at this point, but for the fiction that I've done, um, I've, I've been lucky. Uh, I've, I've had mostly well-written stuff and, um, at, at least, you know, average to above average. And some of it I thought has, has been really good. Um, but, but I know what you're talking about. I, I, I had one book at one point where I read through it and I started and I was really glad that the rights holder ended up just letting me cancel the contract because oh, I, I just couldn't go forward. I got about halfway through and, and I thought, oh man, so what do I say? How do I do this? And I just decided to not say you know, your writing sucks. I, I just went to them and I, <laughs> and I, or, you know, I, I tried not to come up with a nice way to say that. All I said was, um, I, I'm wondering if it would be possible to cancel this contract. 
That was it.、Hmm. And I thought, you know, they might come back to me and say, well, no, you signed up, or, or I don't know how angry they would be. And she said, oh, sure, no problem. And I thought, <laughs> I, I am so glad that I didn't、yeah. bother trying to couch anything or I didn't, you know, come up with some different way to say anything. That's the only experience that I've had where that happened.、Um, so every once in a while, you get something that's not great, but I've been lucky, like you've been lucky. I've been lucky in that respect. So, yeah. Yeah. You mentioned nonfiction.、Um, I,、uh, I started working with Blackstone a couple of years ago and then、um, more recently with Tantor. And almost all of those books have been nonfiction.、Mm. And I, I never set out to be a nonfiction narrator. I really want to, you know, I want to narrate the contemporary fiction.、Mm-hmm. You know. But I'm finding that. Um, you know, for, for one thing, that's where the work is coming from. So, you know, yay.、Um, and also, it's really interesting. I'm learning some stuff about subjects that I would never have sought out on my own, but、um, it's, it's all pretty fascinating stuff. And、um, like one of my best friends here in Harrisonburg is an American history professor at JMU. Oh, wow. I can now have knowledgeable conversations with him about. <laughs> About, you know, I did a book on Lincoln and the abolitionists. And then、um, I did、uh, another one more recently on、uh, the Reconstruction. That's great. And, and then、uh, a couple of months ago, I did one on Chester A. Arthur, who was、uh, a few presidents after Lincoln.、Mm-hmm. Um, and that was, that was the, whole,、um, the whole patronage system in New York and the, the stalwarts. And the, this is all stuff that, that is it's interesting and it's part of our history, but I never, ever would have. Bothered myself to learn about any of it if I wasn't doing this work. Yeah, no, I hear you on that. I've,、uh, a lot of mine have been kind of in the, in the same vein of, of、um, secularism in the US. And <clears throat> there, even though it's a subject that I was already interested in, I have learned a ton of stuff from books that, even though I might have thought this would be a good book to read, I wouldn't have gone out to pick it up. And, mm-hmm. and so it's,、uh, it's been great for me because I've been able to narrate stuff that's interesting to me and,、um, and learn stuff in the process. So I, I totally hear you on the nonfiction. Everybody, every actor loves to get into a good fiction piece because you can you know, make the story come alive. But、yeah. uh, it's great when you get to learn stuff and be entertaining and teach other people stuff. So, yeah. I, I, you、Good、know,、stuff. and I, I, love, I love doing dialogue, especially when the dialogue is snappy and, and smart. Mm hmm. Uh, that, I, I, I don't think there's, there's more fun to have as a narrator than a, a really well written scene between you know, two or three people. Yeah. yeah. So I, I miss that in nonfiction. But、um, yeah, the, the, oh, the, I, just, I did one called the, the last one I did was Coming Back Alive, which is about the Coast Guard、uh, helicopter rescue teams in Alaska. And they're going out to rescue these, these fishermen that are caught in these. Just incredible storms、um, off, the, off the, the, the southern coast of Alaska.、Hmm. And, and the, these guys are just putting it on the line when they go out in their helicopters, and the winds are 80, 90, 110 miles an hour. Yikes, and、yeah. the waves are 80 feet high. There's, there's one scene where, where they're, they're, they're trying to get a bucket down to these guys that are in the water. And, it, and you know, the wind is just blowing the bucket, so it's almost like hitting the tail rotor. And they're, you know, they're trying to maneuver it. And the guy, the mechanic who's, who's running the winch, looks out his, you know, his door is open, his side door is open. And he looks out the winch and he sees a solid wall of water coming at them that is above the top of the rotors of the helicopter.、Ugh. And he's like, pull up, pull up, pull up. <laughs> <So> . And <laughs> they, just, they just barely got the chopper up above the crest of that wave before it just washed them into the ocean. Wow. Yeah. And so, yeah, reading stuff like that, I mean, I, w- I wouldn't have picked that book up. Right. Right. That's, that's, like, always、oh, that, that's always the fun thing when you're reading it and you're enjoying it and you think, I never would have bought this. And yeah, yet, here、yeah. it is, and I love it. And I, yeah, I mean, I, you, know, you read it twice because you got to prep it and then you read it again. And the second time I read it, it's like, I, I know what's coming and I'm still just like on the edge of my seat you know, <laughs> reading about it.、So. Prep it? What's that?、Yeah. No, just kidding. Um, <laughs> So,、um, so, I want to get back to the engineering part. So, you have lots of audio engineering in your background, and you did little bits of.、Uh, well, first, let me ask you so, aside from the every once in a while you had to jump into the booth because you didn't have time to get a talent, have you done any other voiceover work 
besides that, have you ever pursued commercial work or e-learning or anything specifically as a talent? I've, I'm working on that. Um, I've been working on a, on a, a commercial demo and w- where I really want to focus is um, e-learning. Because um, that's something that you have experience with? Because I have experience with it because um, it's, I, I just feel like that would be for me um, in, in terms of, of being able to just do the work day in and day out. Sure. That that would be for me the most sustainable direction to go in. All right. So so aside from the little bit that you've done, and now that now you're kind of looking to go in that direction as well, um, you have a ton of experience on the engineering side, and now you're doing audiobooks. So mm-hmm. a topic that comes up frequently online is outsourcing, um, how to do the engineering, all kinds of questions about the engineering. So mm-hmm. what is your take on engineering audiobooks? I mean, I know it's, take... a, it's, it, yeah, it's, a, it's a big question, but <clears throat> one, one piece of it that I kind of want to look at is do you or have you, even if you're not doing it now, engineer, done all the engineering, all the, the proofing, QC, mastering on audiobooks that you have done? That's, that's what I did for the first few years. Okay. Um, and, and it was just, it was excruciatingly slow. Um, but I was just, I was doing either, you know, um, royalty share or I was doing titles that didn't pay very well. Mm -hmm. Um, and, um, and also I, it's a trust fall for me. It was a trust fall for anybody, but I just could not imagine anyone else taking the kind of care with my stuff that I would take with it. Yep. I get that. I just, I just couldn't bring myself to, to just hand it off and, and, you know, do the trust fall. Um, finally I started to get busy enough and I, and I was busy enough for a while before I ever just, just gave in and decided, okay, I'm going to start farming stuff out. Mm -hmm. And I went through about half a dozen people, um, before I landed on the, the, um, group that I work with now. Uh, mostly I work with either Amanda Rose Smith or Katie Flood. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're both, uh, absolutely first rate. And I do, I, I master as I record, I record through a mastering stack. So that stuff is all done before the, before the proof or editor even, even gets it. So that's um, that I, I got to stop you there. That is something I have never heard from anybody else. So, so you are recording, what do you use to record? What software? Pro Tools. All right. So you're using Pro Tools. Oh, right. Yeah. I've seen those conversations. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're, you're yeah. Yeah. I had forgotten about that. No, you're, you're yeah. a Pro Tools fan. Uh, I have yeah. nothing against Pro Tools. Uh, I, uh, I used it for several years, uh, way back in the day when I was doing non audiobook VO. Um, I did find that I wasn't using probably 99% of it. And, um, if you ever do need it, it's still there. Yes, it is. It is. So, so you use pro tools and as you record, you are recording through a mastering stack. Yeah. Well, when I'm, when I'm the producer, I do that. When I work with a publisher, um, I'm still doing a little processing just to minimize noise. Okay. Um, to bring the, so I'm doing a, a I'm, I'm going to of... keep interrupting you here because this is really fascinating to me because um, not that many of us out here have the kind of experience that you have on on the engineering side and as the person who's actually doing the narration. So so let me ask you what specifically what kind of processing are you doing when you are providing audio to a publisher? When I provide audio to a publisher, okay. Um, it goes through um, a high pass filter. Okay. To Basic, get right? Rid of the rumble. Mm-hmm. Um, then it goes through uh, expansion. Okay. Um, and that that also works to bring down the room tone. Mm-hmm. And then it goes into some compression to so, to bring up the overall volume. Really? So when you're and, when you're providing and, and, when and, you're... To, and to control peaks. So I, I don't clip anywhere. Okay. So, so even when you're providing audio to a publisher, you yes. are doing some compression and expansion. I'm, I'm guessing that you're using a pretty light touch on both of those. Yes. Okay. I think that's and, important and for I, people to hear. And I always, before, when, whenever I start, um, 
with a new client. I've done this with Blackstone. I've done it with Audible. I've done it with Tantor. I send them a sample of my audio and say, please have your engineering people listen. Well, I, I deal directly with Jared Garcia at Blackstone. He's their, their top engineering guy. Okay. I said, Jared, can you please listen to this and tell me if it's okay? And he's, he's actually asked me to back off on a couple of things, um, which I have. And then after I bought the Mojave, um, that, that changed my sound. So I recorded another sample. I said, Jared, I've made some changes to my, you know, to my chain. Can you please give this a listen? And, and I don't do anything until he blesses it. That's, that's really good to hear. I, I'm really glad that we got that out there because I don't want yeah, anybody yeah. to hear this and think, oh, so when they say raw audio, they don't really mean raw audio. I no, can do this and this and this and this. They do. It, yeah, and, yeah. It, and if I was not doing it, um, they would be doing pretty much exactly the same thing that I'm doing. I'm, right. I'm just saving them a few steps. Okay. And, and it's also, for me, it's just like, I don't want to send my stuff out just raw. I don't want anybody to hear that. <laughs> you know? Yeah, it's, I think everybody can like, understand I, that. I don't want people to see me in my underwear yeah. for kind of the same reason. It's just nobody wants to see that stuff. Nobody wants to hear that stuff. I, I don't want them to see or hear it. Right. So, okay. So those are the things that you do when you're <laughs> dealing with a publisher. When you're recording, uh, when, it, when it's not for a publisher yeah. and you're going through a stack, what are you doing differently? Um, just more of everything. More of the same. All um, right. Yeah. So not... two, 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 two passes of a high pass filter. Um, but both of them set you about the same frequency. It's, it's amazing. You just, you, you, you put those two high pass filters in series, you get rid of so much of your noise floor. You can get rid of 20 dB of your noise floor and nobody ever notices it. It's completely transparent. Two, two um, passes of essentially um, the same filter. Of the same filter. Yeah. What, what do you, what do you, what kind of uh, frequency are you looking at? Uh, like 70 Hertz, 75 Hertz. So you do two passes and it's a big difference. Yeah. Yeah, it 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 basically doubles the amount of reduction of that uh, of that part of the room tone, and that's a huge part of the room tone. Okay. When 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 I when I'm in my booth, the only stuff that that leaks in, like from the HVAC, is that low rumble. Mm -hmm. So so yeah, getting rid of that right from the get go uh, just really brings the noise floor down. Then I use um, more than one expander in series for uh -huh. the same reason. Okay. Same reason. And, and those are, those are set differently. Each expander is, is set differently and they work, they work in stages. Um, and I have a series of compressors, same thing. They, they, each one does just a little bit and, and the, the cumulative effect of, of putting them in series, um, yields a really nice full sounding output, but you don't really hear the compression the same way you would if you had just one compressor set to fairly drastic, okay. uh, threshold stuff mm -hmm. um and then there's a limiter at the end just in case yeah and eq i i, I have a uh, an eq that i've i've arrived at that i feel like um just notches out some of the less pleasant resonances that i hear in my voice hmm. no and that's, that, and that's, that's good to know i uh i've arrived in an eq that i like as well it's uh flat except for uh oh. dropping off you know below 80 or whatever it is. Yeah. I, I don't even remember where I have it set. Um, but, uh, but I am no engineer and I assume that, that, uh, any engineer who would work with something I would give them would actually come up with a, a nice EQ that would be better than what I would come up with. It, you know, they might just because they feel like that's their job. Mm -hmm. You know, like if, if I'm not, if I'm not using this skill, then why do I even have it? Mm -hmm. Um, and you can always find something to touch in audio. I mean, sure. you, you know, the trick where you, you take, you take a single band of an EQ and you just, you just boost it to some insane level, like mm. 10 or 12 dB. Just to and see a, what and, it does. And a narrow band. And you just sweep it back and forth mm -hmm. until you hear something that just makes you want to, you know, just recoil in horror. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then, and, and then you, you notch that out just a, a couple of dB. Yeah, that's that's a that's a really basic EQ trick that every engineer does to try to figure out how to how to sort of even out every the, the sound of everything, how to how to identify that one resonant that 
resonance that maybe needs to be controlled a little bit. Yeah, I, I've done that. And uh, <clears throat> and it's kind of fun because you think, well, you know, somebody said that if I if I go if I look at this frequency and I take that down or I take it up, it's going to do this or do that. So let me see. And so I do it a little bit. I do it a little bit this way, a little bit that way. And I don't hear anything. So I said, well, screw this. And so I just take it all the way down, you know, 20 dB or whatever it is. <laughs> and it's like, oh, so that's what it does. Okay. Yeah. So then I would bring it back up. But what I learned was I just, um, I, I don't think that it's necessarily that I don't have the ear for it. It's that I don't have a trained ear for it. And so I thought, you know what? I think it's safer for me to not really <laughs> muck with things. So. And, and that, that's, that is the smart play. It, it, if you can do so much damage by, by having a little bit of knowledge. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'll tell you, I run into that a lot. I'm sure. Um, and in in these discussions, these online discussions, mm -hmm. people that that have learned, you know, something and they just run with it. Yeah. And um, I, I'm I'm getting better about not engaging. <laughs> well, I I try to engage um, in those when I when I can and when I think that I have something to say that somebody else might not. But the well, one yeah, thing that I keep yeah. going back to in those discussions is if you don't know what it does you really have to learn what it does before yeah. you employ it. Because right. I, I will see people post questions about, um, so a compressor, how do I set that? And, and it's like, <laughs> oh my God, that's, that's like a, you know, five hour conversation, which oh, is, which is completely dependent on your voice and your setup and, and everything else. Um, and so if you don't know what it does, trust somebody else or, learn enough. I mean, there's so much information out there online now, learn yeah. enough to where you can use it. And when you do use it minimal, just use it a little tiny bit to see how it affects things. So that, yeah. that's usually my advice on, on all of the engineering stuff. If I understand, uh, you know, I've, I've been there, I am there. I, I understand that if you are doing it yourself because it's a royalty share, you can't afford it, you're learning, whatever, that's fine. I, I get it, um, but don't screw it up by by saying, "Oh, I'll use this, you know, post processing technique, and this will clean everything up." Yeah. No, yeah. <laughs> not a good idea. <laughs> yeah, and you so. once it's, I mean, and unless you know how to do it non destructively, so you mm -hmm. can always go back to your starting point. Yep. You, you've you've made the omelet, and you cannot unscramble that omelet <laughs> once you've made it. So very true. Yeah, you, Gotta know what you're doing. Very true. Good advice. So, so any other advice you have for uh, for everybody listening out there, getting into audiobooks, <sighs> or who have been do doing it for a little while? Um, I don't know. I I'm still learning. <laughs> I'm yeah, still learning. Well, you know, <laughs> well, that uh, and and I mean that that would be my advice. Like never never assume that you know anything, and and find a find a good coach. Find a bunch of good coaches. I've worked with probably half a dozen different coaches by now. And every one of them has a unique perspective and a unique way of, of directing their, their students. And I get something out of every one of them. And, and my, my work continues to be informed by, by all of their ideas. And I'm still, I'm still looking for, you know, for, for more. I'm, I'm still, you know, wondering when I, when can I fit in another session with this or that coach? Or, you know, do I, do I want to go back to this guy and get a refresher or do I want to try, you know, I'm, I, I want to call Carol Monda at some point. Um, I got a chance to work with her at Johnny's first New England retreat mm. and uh, really just enjoyed the heck out of that. And it was, it was just a short 20 minute session with her mm -hmm. and, and um, really, really liked her approach. Well, I, I will say Carol is great. I love Carol. Um, and, and I would say about your advice there about get a good coach. I could not agree more. I, and, and I have had the same experience. I have had several different coaches over the course of my VO career in different ways and they all bring something and, mm -hmm. and it is great to have those different things. And sometimes it might feel like you actually have conflicting advice but they all bring something and you yeah. can get something from everybody who has a lot of experience. I just spoke with somebody, I'm not going to out any names here, but I just spoke with somebody who is really high up on the, on the audiobook narrator food chain. And they were seeking out some coaching from somebody else who is high up. I know mm -hmm. of a um, character VO 
who has talked about getting coaching from someone. And this is somebody who is at the top of the game, at the very, very top of the ladder. And oh, they are oh, getting it, coaching from somebody. You, it you, it you, never ends. It doesn't. Yeah. You, you can't go wrong by hearing somebody try to help you who knows what they're doing. Yeah. So I, I completely agree. I think that's a, a great note to end it on. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Good, good. Get some good coaching. Uh, so where can people find you online? Um, I'm at paulheitch.com. How do you spell um, your last name? H-E-I-T-S-C-H. All right. Paul's pretty easy, but the Heitch, yeah, you might not Yeah, know. yeah. That's just, it's just, it's Deutsch, but with a couple of different uh, letters at the, at the front. Um, and the same thing on Facebook and Twitter is at Paul Heitch. So yeah, once you learn how to spell it, I'm pretty easy to find. <laughs> easy to find. Well, that's great. Thanks a lot for coming in, Paul. I really appreciate oh, I, you uh, sharing I, some bourbon with me. Sure. I had a blast. All right. A... Good. If, if I had known that you were going to have Eagle Rare, I might've pulled my own bottle out, but uh, the Wild Turkey Rare Breed did me well. I, you, you like that? Oh, I do. I do. I'll have to, I'll have to see if, they, if they've got some here in Virginia. Virginia's, it, they, they're picky about what they let come into the state. So Yeah, you know, it's funny. There are a lot of states out there where the liquor laws in this day and age, as far as I'm concerned, make zero sense. Well, it's, it's not even a law. It's just you, you can't buy alcohol except from the state of Virginia. Uh, they, they own, right. they own all the licenses. And, and like I said, they're, they're just, they're kind of, you know, finicky about who they let come into the, the state to be sold in their stores. Yeah. And I, I just think all of that is just so goofy. Mississippi is the same way. My mother-in-law lives in Mississippi. We go back there to visit every once in a while. And the, the times that you can buy and where you can buy, and you can buy certain things at the grocery store, but not on Sundays. And it's just, it, it is just so goofy. So, uh, so I don't know if, I, I don't know if they'll have wild turkey rare breed or not, but I like it. I, I do tend to like the, uh, the barrel proof or the, um, the cask strength, uh, whiskeys, but I usually cut it with an ice cube and, um, and it works out quite well. Yeah. I just put a splash of, of water in mine. Yep. Same Andy, idea. Andy, Andy actually turned me onto that. Andy Arndt? Yeah. 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 Well, I'll, I will talk to her about that when I see her at APAC. You're going to be at APAC this year, right? Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Well, I will see you there as well. And I'm, I'm, I imagine that Andy will be there too. Yep. All right. Thanks a lot, Paul. Really appreciate you coming in and uh, look forward to hearing from you soon. Yeah. I had a blast. Thanks, Rich. All right. Well, that's it for tonight. Many thanks to Paul Heitch for stopping by. I hope you enjoyed hearing about the audio engineering experiences that led up to his narration career and his thoughts on engineering audiobooks as much as I did. You can find the audiobook speakeasy on iTunes, Stitcher, and Podbean, and all the apps that pull from iTunes. And you can find me at richvoiceproductions.com, where I've got some samples and links to audiobooks I've narrated, a place where you can sign up for my monthly newsletter, and where I'm also posting episodes of the audiobook speakeasy. If you're enjoying our speakeasy chats, please leave a review on iTunes or Stitcher. And if you're not enjoying them, please find a podcast you do enjoy and leave them a review. If you think this show is educational, entertaining, or valuable simply because it gives you an excuse to sit down and enjoy a cocktail in an otherwise hectic day, I'd really appreciate it if you could visit patreon.com slash audiobookspeakeasy and donate a buck or two. The Audiobook Speakeasy is going to be closed next week. As expected, St. Patrick's Day was a lot of fun, but things got a little out of hand, and now I've got some cleaning up to do, and I need to restock the Irish whiskey wing of the stockroom. Not to worry, though. When the speakeasy's open again, I'll be back with another chat about audiobook production. Until then, I hope you can find some time to enjoy an audiobook. Cheers! Cheers!